Brought to you by Leave the Ring Network. All boxing, no filter. Oh! It's another knockdown. He's not getting up, Jim. He get up. He's not getting up, Jim. He's not getting up. No, he's been knocked out. It's over. Mamma mia, he's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. AJ does it in style. Beaten down, hopeless, without an answer, and Lomachenko has made Rigondeaux quit. It's Fistionados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, fight fans. It is Wednesday, October 23rd, and this is the Fistinados podcast on the Leave It in the Ring radio network. I'm your host, Evan Murkowski, former HBO sports marketing executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. Email me at fistinados at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistinadospod. We are brought to you by Ring Magazine and ringtv.com. A lot of good stuff this episode. I'm going to look at the Zone's upcoming schedule, what they've branded as fight season, uh, and and both the positives and the negatives. I think they are – I'm going to be mostly positive on what they're doing, but I am going to definitely note this. They are taking some huge risks that I'm not sure any other experienced boxing network exec would take, but we will get to that in a second. Let's just jump right in because there's a lot of fights um, that happened a lot of fights coming up, um, and and you know the last two weeks, it, the zone stuff is going to be fun. The last two weeks of boxing have not been fun; they've been kind of depressing. So we'll get to that in a second. All right, into the review section. Two fight cards of note for Saturday, October twelfth. Let's start with the earlier one in the day on ESPN from Leeds, England, where Josh Warrington wins by KO two over Sofiane Takuch to defend his IBF featherweight belt. Warrington was a huge favorite going in here. I mean, really the key thing is he went, this was a really talented group of featherweight champs and veteran fighters. And it is now going, a lot of them are moving up to 130 pounds and he's pretty much the most established champ left who isn't planning on moving up to 130 pounds. And he's, you know, clearly a commercial draw in the UK and, and could probably make a big fight in the U.S., it's great for Warrington because there's now an excellent crop of young fighters establishing themselves right now. Obviously, Shakur Stevenson being uh, the one that would be pretty easy to make for Warrington to, based on the uh, promoter and network relationships there. Warrington's going to end up getting paid for a big fight, and as long as he keeps winning like this, he's going to keep getting paid. Not much else to say about this card. All right, also on Saturday the 12th on DAZN from Chicago, we have Alexander Usyk beating Chaz Witherspoon by KO7 in Usyk's first fight at heavyweight. Witherspoon was a late replacement for Tyrone Spong. Also on the card, Dimitri Bivol wins a ho-hum 12-round unanimous decision against Lennon Castillo to retain his WBA light heavyweight title. We must mention the tragedy here where Charles Conwell defeated Patrick Day, uh, who ended up having a traumatic brain injury that ultimately ended up in his death. Um, I'll actually go on a bit of a tech rant here in a second, but first... Uh, let's just take a moment to say RIP Patrick, like 
this I'm going to mention a lot of really rough things in this episode for the sport, especially over the past two weeks. Um, but obviously none of them are in the same category as this one. Patrick Day in particular is a tough one to swallow. And I say this, I didn't know him personally, but one of the few things that is different about him is that he wasn't just one of the quote unquote good guys of the sport, but a lot of people, you know, probably quite frankly, like me or anyone listening to this show, he's someone you could identify with. Like he did not grow up in poverty. Uh, he was involved in the sport because he truly loved it. He was here because he loved it. Uh, and I think that, I think that was the case for why he sparred a lot too, and did a lot of other things. He probably would have gone on to, you know, he's very smart, uh, friendly guy. He probably would have gone on to become like a trainer or a commentator or would have had some other, uh, post fighting chapter to his career in the sport. Uh, and, and I just, I think, you know, certainly a lot of, a lot of journalists or people who work on the broadcast uh, can identify with this kind of thing. Like they could work on, they could be a journalist for other things, other sports or other, or other, you know, things you, you can cover as, as a career as a journalist. Uh, you, you know, if you work in TV production, there's plenty of things in live sports you can work on. Uh, a lot of them choose boxing because they love the sport. When stuff like this happens, it's just particularly hard on everyone uh, because they can identify w with that type of person who's there because they love it. You know, Patrick Day wasn't probably going to end up as, uh, a, a, you know, holding some some kind of world title belt. But, you know, that's that makes it almost harder because, you know, the sport can be a meat grinder and it doesn't discriminate against fighters who have other life options. Um, so look, keep RIP Patrick Day, and also please keep Charles Conwell in your thoughts. Uh, he is a very promising fighter, and it's got to be a heavy burden for him. Okay, in one of the weirdest transitions ever, we'll move on to the broadcast. Uh, the broadcast, there were several audio issues for this card. As for me personally, I watched the fights on like a two or three hour delay. And in the eighth round of the Beaval fight, my feed cut out, and I didn't have access to the English feed, so I watched the rest of the Bivol fight and the main event in Spanish. And apparently there were sound issues throughout the fight card for those people who watched it live. A uh, couple of notes here. You've got to dock the zone on this one. But I will say they handled the situation pretty well. I was in contact with a few people there, basically because I ranted about it on social media. And look, they straight up owned it. They owned the issues. They said it's, the issues are on them. And considering how many DAZN fights that have been broadcast and considering they do the fights top to bottom, including other cards, you know, they've actually been really good on these issues. Like we have not seen many of these issues overall. Uh, and when you say, yep, these are our fault, we own it. And, and, and if you look at how they sort of handled the Patrick Day situation, I, look, I think they handled all of that pretty well. It shows a commitment in my mind to making sure that uh, their customers have a, a, a great experience, even when they don't. Comparatively speaking, though, I think they are doing an excellent job streaming the Saturday Night Fights. Uh, but look, again, Dockham points. What does this mean for Usyk? It's kind of tough to assess right now. I mean, I think everyone would have preferred the original opponent of Carlos to come. He it would have been a great introduction to heavyweight. 
for Usyk, Tyrone Sprong at least would have been really interesting and brought some new fans to it. You know, Tyrone Sprong is a former MMA fighter uh, and kickboxer who has a lot of power. Chaz Witherspoon kind of is just not a factor at all. Um, in the grand scheme of things, I think the most important thing for Usyk, just, you know, whether, whether it's any of those opponents, is he got a full training camp in to put on some weight to prepare for heavyweights, which is vastly different than cruiserweights. Like, who he fights next is much more important than anything else, and also just that he's had now a full training camp where he's training to be a heavyweight, not to cut weight to get below the 200-pound weight limit for cruiserweight. You know, remember, he can enforce a fight against the WBO champ because he unified uh, and, 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 and moved up holding the WBO title at cruiserweight. And look, that could either be AJ or Ruiz, depending on who wins in December. And, you know, it's sort of an interesting side note. I mean, that's like, we're going to learn a lot from that because does Eddie Hearn want to push Usyk in with AJ? If AJ wins, even though they're both with Eddie, how would PBC and Fox deal with Usyk enforcing a title fight for a title that Fox literally doesn't even recognize in their broadcast? They'd probably drop it, I'm guessing. You know, uh, it just brings up all this these sort of questions, like, if Ruiz wins, you'd probably think PBC would want to put him in an easy fight on pay-per-view and, 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 and maybe test his commercial viability there. Or maybe they just want to get him in on Wilder on pay-per-view, make the biggest fight possible. Who knows? There's a lot of different ways you could go. Um, and Ruiz in particular, interesting case. I mean, all the heavyweights right now are super interesting. I mean, Ruiz, just based on him being the first heavyweight champ of Mexican descent, he is like almost an automatic pay-per-view fighter who can make big fights. You know, obviously his body shape represents a huge opportunity in terms of activating that underdog cell. But at the same time, like Ruiz is 34 fights into his professional career. And until he beat AJ, he had so little commercial value as a TV fighter or a ticket seller that he had to go to New Zealand to fight Joseph Parker for his first title fight. Um, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole with this. I'll definitely cover it in a future episode. But going back to Usyk, he he will end up having sort of a few significant plays, like a few significant chess pieces to play in getting a title and forcing some pretty big money fights. Like this isn't just him coming in as sort of the boogeyman that no one wants to fight. You know, I think it was also significant. He had a pretty decent ticket market in Chicago. Uh, there were like 9,000 people there or something like that. And pretty much all for, you know, basically almost a meaningless fight. So, you know, we need to see a top 10 guy next, maybe a top 10 or top 12 guy next for Usyk. Uh, and and after that, we really need to see a plan where we're going to see him in some big fights. But, you know, this is fine. Wasn't great in terms of anything. Like, I don't think we learned a whole lot. But we all want to see this guy fighting big fights. Uh, so what, what comes next is going to be really what's interesting. Okay, let's move on to Friday, October 18th on ESPN from Philadelphia. In one of the best fights on of the fall, both on paper and then obviously it delivered in the ring, Artur Beterbiev wins by KO10 against Oleksandr Vazdik in what I'd say is like a fight of the year candidate, but probably on the second tier of those types of fights. Like maybe let's put it in the J-Rock, Jarrett Hurd category, um, where it was just a great TV fight, but maybe not quite at the level of of uh, Spence Porter 
and you know Golovkin, Derevchenko, and I, th- I think I'd still put AJ Ruiz one in there just because of the magnitude of that. But uh, incredible chess match. I mean, in fact, Vazdek was up on two of the judges' scorecards when the KO happened. Although he probably wouldn't have been after the knockdowns got factored in. But Bitterbev just looked like an absolute beast during the fight. Uh, before we break it down, what it all means and go through the ratings, let's just list the undercard. Kudratio Abdukakarov beats Luis Colazzo by unanimous decision at welterweight. The show does an average of 635,000 viewers and is the number 16 cable show of the day. You know, really a mixed bag here on the viewership number. So let's just take a mini deep dive into this for a sec. Not a great number overall for ESPN. I mean, certainly considering that it's a unification fight, uh, though, at least if you're top rank in ESPN, you can say there was heavy competition, and there certainly was. The Major League Baseball ALCS game on FS1, which featured the New York Yankees, was the top cable show of the day with over 5.6 million viewers. And actually, the post-game show was the number two cable show of the day. Uh, and it's kind of interesting. When you look at some of the other competitions just, just around SmackDown on Big Fox did almost 2.5 million viewers, so that did like half, less than half the audience of FS1. Kind of crazy. Um, and let's even pause for a second and go through that rating. That rating sounds low for Fox, and actually it had the lowest average of total viewership for any network show of the big four networks. However, it had the best rating in adults 18 to 34 and 18 to 49, which are the two important rating numbers, you know, that really matter, especially in terms of, of how you're selling ads. So from that standpoint, Fox won the night both on network TV and on cable TV. If you're wondering, Blue Bloods on CBS actually had the highest average viewership at over 7.4 million viewers, but almost all of them were older than any demographic that really matters. Back to the top-ranked rating, though. If you look at the landscape beforehand, you say, okay, a unification with two, yeah, they're lesser names, you know, Eastern European descent, but very strong fighters. And they're going to go on a Friday night up against SmackDown on Fox, the ALCS involving the New York Yankees on FS1. And then actually what we haven't mentioned yet, a UFC fight night card on ESPN2, 635,000 viewers is maybe on the low end of what you guess the rating would do. But it's not like, it's not a humongous disappointment by any means. I think I th- it did definitely on the low end. Like if you're predicting what it could be, I would say like, eh, maybe on the low end, six hundred thousand. But you're hoping for eight hundred thousand. You're you know you're you're really hoping for that it hits that million mark. Like this is a big unification fight. But it is on a Friday, not a Saturday. Here's the flip side of this: if you're an ESPN exec, like. The UFC card on ESPN2 got 805,000 viewers on average, and it went up directly against boxing. And the other nuanced part of this is the lead-in to boxing was a college football game that did almost 1.1 million viewers. So boxing lost a pretty significant, when you look at it from that end, it's a little bit more disappointing. Boxing lost a significant amount of viewers, and I mean, that, that UFC audience is just so loyal. They'll go wherever you put the UFC. They don't care. That's going to end up being one of ESPN2's best ratings of the year that doesn't involve college football. So if you're top rank, you have to ask yourself, like, why are we going directly against the UFC? Does it really have to be that both dates were on a Friday? I mean, there's almost no question you're siphoning off some of your audience 
you know, especially considering it's two Eastern European boxers and, and I've, I mean, I've seen statistics that like the, that's your audience when it, when it's Eastern European fighters or like the, the Eastern European crowd is definitely part of the crowd that crosses over into boxing and MMA for sure. So let's even take a deeper look now. What is the opportunity lost by going on a Friday night instead of a Saturday night? Well, the competition was still strong on Saturday night. The ALCS on FS1 had almost 7.5 million viewers, and that won the night. But the Alabama game that was on ESPN2 was the number two show of the night, and it had 4.2 million viewers. That was on at 9 p.m. Eastern. The game before that, which was on at 6 p.m. Eastern, also did very strong. It had almost 3 million viewers on ESPN. What does this all mean? Well, it's like in a perfect world, the fight would have aired after the Alabama game, similar to what the Crawford fight did last year right around this time. But the Alabama game started at 9 p.m. Eastern. So that's probably the reason why we saw it on a Friday on why we saw boxing on a Friday night instead of a Saturday night. You know, and if I'm an ESPN exec, I'm not looking at this and thinking that I'm disappointed in a major way, but I'd have wanted to see better. And I would have probably admitted that ESPN could have done more to promote the fight in a crowded field. But I'm definitely going to look at that UFC rating on ESPN2 and be pretty impressed with that. All the, all the fight game stuff is secondary, though. That Alabama game is everything for ESPN that weekend. And if they had to go at 9 o'clock for it, that's what they're going to do. The Alabama game is way more expensive to air. And... The viewership number for that matters way more than what you're going to get for anything else. You know, what's disappointing about this for me and probably a lot of other hardcore fans is that this fight on paper going in and then in execution was an amazing fight. And it would have been great for a larger audience to watch it, especially an audience that had some casual viewers. This was just a brutal chess match. Like what I call, I refer to boxing, it's high level problem solving with severe consequences. And that's what we saw. Each fighter adjusted probably several times. The other responded, and this is great. And then it, it brings about this larger point where, and I've said this before, there is a reason these fall dates are, they are both opportunities, but they're also scary for the boxing community. I mean, Showtime just straight up doesn't do them, basically. You know, American college football is a huge deal. The baseball playoffs definitely dip into the casual boxing audience. There's no question about these things. And the fall is tough. There's just so many events. So you can either make that work for you, which ESPN has done in the past, uh, and they and they will probably do with the Heisman again this year. But just once, instead of I think they did three of these things last year. They had, you know the Crawford fight, and then they did an NBA game on a Friday night, or you can get run over by some of these behemoth events. And we have seen that in the past, both on HBO and Showtime, and 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 on other networks as well. I mean Fox basically isn't really doing uh, boxing here. And on one hand, again, you love to see them put on a major fight after a college football game. Kind of did that once this year uh, with that Stanford game, but it was a you know not a great fight. I think it's a way to really monetize cheaper programming. Boxing is much cheaper than college football. But, the, you know, the, some people, they, they don't want to risk it, and I understand. Well, we are going to talk in the deep dive about why network execs are, are risk-averse at times, uh, as we will get into. But before we do the deep dive, let's do a quick note on Errol Spence. Um, 
you know, again, not a great two-week period. Historically, boxing, uh, and, and, and I'll say this, I'm not one to judge here. I, I like historically boxing is just not a place where fans care about issue like issues like DWIs, especially if he was just sort of celebrating, didn't hurt anyone. I hope he learns his lesson here. Uh, I hope he doesn't put himself or anyone else in this type of danger again, but you know, the way he escaped injury is amazing. And while there hasn't been an announcement on what's coming next for him, like, I hope he can get back in the ring in Q1. I've said it before. He's one of my favorite fighters. I want to see him. And I think that's fantastic that he's going to be able to fight in a weird way. And I don't know if this is too soon or not, but I'll just throw it out there. This might even make the Pacquiao fight more likely to happen. Pacquiao might be more likely to get in the ring with him because if you're Pacquiao, you've got to think, well, I don't know if I'm not going to get the Mayweather fight. If this is the next biggest money fight for me, and if I'm going to take it, I'm definitely going to take it now right after a car accident. Then, you know, taking it, giving him nine months to recover or something like that. I mean, if you like that is a weird thing to talk about. Uh, and, and I don't know the extent of Spence's injuries other than what's been reported. So I don't know if he would be in a position to do that in Q1. Uh, but look, that could be a great fight for Spence. I don't know what's going to happen. More importantly, I hope he's learned his lesson and I hope he doesn't put anybody, him or anyone else like that in that type of danger again. Uh, you know, but I don't want to minimize it either. You know, it. It is what it is. Okay. Last time I did a deep dive on zone, probably a few months ago, and they were heading into that stretch around May that was, like, just so critical for them. And, you know, a lot of things have changed since then. I mean, there were probably still core boxing fans then who weren't aware of what zone was back in April. And I doubt that's probably the case anymore. I'm sure there are definitely general sports fans who don't have a super strong awareness for what they are. But... This time, we're heading into what they branded as fight season. I think they've done a really good job with this. We'll talk about that more in a bit. I think a lot has changed in terms of where DAZN stands in sort of the grand scheme of things uh, in the sport of boxing on the whole, as well as just their business strategy with it. You know, a few things on the, off the top before we go in. We'll look at the Canelo fight. We'll look at what it means for Canelo and DAZN together and sort of <laughs> what is going on with DAZN and Golden Boy. Uh, we have an incredible stretch of fights for DAZN that, like I said, they've successfully branded as, as fight season. But, you know, we'll go through some of the business strategy side of things where they've signed, you know, this important deal with Comcast and some other stuff. Uh, we know they've missed out on the NFL, so that's why we've probably seen them commit strongly to boxing in 2020. You know, we'll go through that, but we're also going to Look, I've been complimentary on the in, on, on the intro here. At the very intro from the top, I said it, though. They deserve compliments. This is an incredible stretch of fights. Uh, but from <laughs> we will also talk about the risks they are taking. Because if you look at the programming risks that they are taking, uh, there are pathways to this that can just be a complete disaster for them. So, so we'll go through that, too. All right. Let's start though by just looking at the what the upcoming fights are for the zone. Their fall really, uh, the fall schedule really started with Golovkin Derevchenko on October fifth, uh, which again I'd say is in that tier with Spence Porter and AJ Ruiz as the true fight of the year contenders for right now. Uh, Usyk probably doesn't do much with that fight to move the needle, but I'll just mention it because it's technically in the season. 
Still coming up, we have both the World Boxing Super Series, or we have all three of the World Boxing Super Series finals, which uh, at least two of which are really strong fights. Uh, and and I think you know the cruiserweight final uh, is still a good fight. It's it's probably not on the level of the other one. So the Pro Gray Taylor fight at 140 is on paper one of the best fights of the year, and I think it may not just create one legit star; it might create two. A week later, DAZN has the Canelo Kovalev fight. A few days after that, November seventh from Japan, uh, Inoue fights Donaire in or Donaire in the one eighteen World Boxing Super Series final with the IBF and WBA title weights, uh, bantamweight titles on the line. Then on November 9th, DAZN airs the Logan Paul KSI fight with BJ Saunders and Devin Haney on the undercard. I mean, obviously we're less than three weeks out and no opponents announced for either, so. Probably neither of them in competitive fights. Still worth mentioning just because they'll be introduced to the hopefully younger demographic. That's obviously what Dizon and Eddie Hearn are counting on there. November 23rd in two separate cards, one from England and one from Indio, California. We'll see Calum Smith fighting John Ryder in a title fight. Uh, that is somewhat interesting for a foreign fight. Andrew Cancio taking care of his mandatory with a rematch against Rene Alvarado. Somewhat interesting. Then they'll end the year really strong. Uh, December 7th is a rematch of the Andy Ruiz-Anthony Joshua fight, which will take place in Saudi Arabia. And then Danny Jacobs is moving up to 168 pounds to fight what appears to be Chavez Jr. Uh, but as with all things Chavez Jr., we, we shall see if he ends up fighting Chavez Jr. One other big fight of note, the cruiserweight uh, Maris Bredis will fight Junior Dorticos in the cruiserweight final. Great, great fun fight. It'll unite WBO and IBF uh, titles. It not definitely not on the level that Usyk uh, Gassiev was last year, but still definitely worth mentioning. Okay, so let's first just talk about the fights in general here. I mean, in one respect, give them credit. If anyone can identify a stronger three-month run on a network in the past few years, maybe even the past few decades, I'd love to see it. And especially since none of these fights are on pay-per-view or whatever you want to call it. None of these fights you have to pay extra for. You just pay your, your yearly fee or your monthly fee or whatever. Like, you just have to mention that. Like, great job on setting a fight schedule. Great job on branding it fight season. Like, I absolutely love the spot that they created and, and branded it to the point. I mean, I'm, that is an A campaign for me. That is an A-level campaign. I'm sure most of the people listening to the show have seen it all over the place. If you haven't, I'd encourage you to watch the 60-second spot, which I've seen mostly on digital. There's the 30-second cutdown, which has been all over you know, TV. It's excellent stuff. They're spending a lot of money on it, but it, it deservedly so. Like As a marketer, I would just say this spot captures so many of the great qualities about boxing, like the aspirational nature of it. It builds appropriately to that. I think another great element that, that makes it truly stand out is when you're watching other commercials on TV – most commercial spots are just trying to be attention-grabbing and very loud. This starts so different with that music, and by having that slow build, I actually think it, it grabs your attention more when you're watching it in conjunction with other commercials. It follows through with excellent quality. Uh, I love that instead of just promoting individual tune-in for each fight, DAZN branded a whole season, which I would guess helped them drive subs because you're selling the entire schedule rather than one fight. I hated the initial branding campaign that DAZN did about ending pay-per-view for a lot of reasons. I've been over that on this podcast before uh, at ad nauseum, quite frankly. Uh, but one of the great qualities of this spot is it actually subtly touches on that part of that message that by subscribing to DAZN, you're getting all of these fights 
and and rather than paying huge one-off pay-per-view prices, you're just getting them all for your subscription. So it actually subtly touches instead of hitting you over the head with a, a message that is just basically a blatant lie. It actually uh, like no one's ending pay-per-view. It actually really touches. It, it makes you question why you're paying for pay-per-view when you're getting all this is just part of your monthly subscription. I mean, I think that's great. Like that's really smart. That's what they should be doing. Okay. Um, and I do think DAZN will have to do individual campaigns around the Canelo fight and the, and the AJ Ruiz two fight that promotes tune in. We have not seen that yet. So I don't know what that looks like, but great job on the brand. All right. Other business stuff. I really like a lot of the deals that DAZN has already made and more are rumored to come in short order. The Comcast deal they cut is extremely important for a couple of reasons. Like when these types of deals get cut and look, I am not seeing them. I can only tell you I, I, when, while working at HBO and working with some of the departments at HBO that did these deals, like these types of deals might have had the single biggest impact on subscriber numbers, like period, end of sentence. Like these things are so important. Like if you can convince distribution partners to push your product in the old world and probably still in the new world, there used to be nothing that you could do that would have a bigger impact on your sub numbers. And again, it's debatable in the world we live in now, but to state the obvious, like there are multiple generations of older fans who still subscribe to cable satellite and Comcast is probably the biggest provider of that. And these are fans who are conditioned to pay extra for boxing content. And if they are Comcast subscribers, literally no one is in a better position to convince them to subscribe to DAZN than Comcast. My only major criticism of these types of deals is why weren't they happening before the Jacobs Canelo fight? Like, why haven't seen, we seen more of them? They may not have the impact on sub numbers that they did for HBO. In fact, it's almost guaranteed they won't. But if anything, by not doing them, it kind of showed how much hubris DAZN had when they entered the marketplace. I mean, if you can find me an OTT platform besides Netflix that success, you know, that succeeded basically without some kind of legacy partnership. And honestly, you could make an argument that Netflix de facto had that because of the extensive library deals they had set up with Hollywood studios. I'd love to hear it. I would, I would truly love to hear it. You find me an original uh, programming OTT platform that succeeded without this kind of partnership. You know, anyways, from what I've heard, we should expect more deals. Um, and you're probably missing out if you don't get them done in time for the Canelo Kovalev fight. But hey, uh, I, these are positive things. All right. Again, while they are net positives, DAZN should not be let off the hook for not having them in place earlier, especially considering what their overall goals were. Like, these are not like crazy, you're fired mistakes, but you know. And I definitely understood the logic and the initial approach, and I'll give them a little credit, actually, for quickly realizing after the Canelo Jacobs fight that they needed to shift their their strategy and and go to this type of of, of deal to acquire subs. Uh, you know, again, strong argument they should have shifted that strategy after the Rocky Fielding fight. I've talked about this a lot with with PBC pay per views. Uh, but you cannot just say here, oh, Canelo fought Liam Smith or Miguel Cotto or whoever it did, or whoever he fought, and it did X number of buys. And because Rocky Fielding or Danny Jacobs profiles as a similar fight to that, we should expect X number of subscribers. 
That's totally leaving out how important the cable and satellite systems historically have contributed to those pay-per-view buy numbers. And by cutting them out of it, which is what DAZN was doing early on, like you need to make up for that. And you know that's not even factoring other a lot of other factors into into how uh, pay-per-view works versus subscription numbers work. But anyways, let's go back to the schedule because while it is incredibly strong, especially for you know having zero fights that you have to pay extra for, I do think we need to take a closer look. And and this is where I'm gonna. <laughs> go to that part where I previewed and say DAZN is taking some huge risks here. All right, some pretty interesting notes from an overall standpoint. First of all, it's how reliant DAZN is on big fights happening outside the U.S., you know, which a lot of those fights are, and they typically and historically have ended up being more for the core fan base than for casual fans. You know, I don't, truly dock them points on it, except for AJ Ruiz too. But I do think it's worth pointing out for a couple of reasons. Uh, also, and, and we'll get back to this after we talk about the international flavor of things, like DAZN's big fights are almost all a product of making deals where they've reached across the aisle to make a great fight, uh, but they definitely have a rooting interest. And that is one of the huge reasons I think this is a very risky programming strategy. But look, let's first just talk about the international element of things. On the positive side, these types of events usually create a strong value for the U.S. audience because they don't happen in prime time. So DAZN or any other network historically, for that matter, that has done this, which really includes HBO, Showtime, Epics has done it. Uh, a lot of places have done it. Uh, I think F, you know Fox, maybe not Big Fox. I think FS1 has done it before. I, I could be mistaken on that, but it doesn't matter. Any network that has done this usually gets it at a drastically reduced license fee, which means they can afford more programming. You know, if you really look at fight season, Triple G Derevchenko and Canelo Kovalev, those are the only two high-level boxing major events that are happening in the U.S. I'll call Logan Paul KSI a gimmick in the grand scheme of things that it is a really smart move, and I will talk about that a little bit later. It's definitely aimed at getting new subscribers which from a much different audience. Uh, base rather than reinforcing a strong product. Uh, and look, you also have to mention that while Triple G Derevchenko is no doubt a fight of the year candidate, it was not really a major commercial event at all. And if you just want to look at ticket sales, you can see the story there. So look, it's really like the Canelo Kovla fight is the big major commercial event, can't miss event that's happening in the U.S. during the season. Like, why do I mention this? Well, It doesn't really matter for this particular fight season because they've made a ton of great fights. But, like, you got to ask, how sustainable is this long term if you're relying on, on events outside the United States? I mean, I think a lot of it can be. But, look, a big part of this is is the World Boxing Super Series, which DAZN has relied on for core fans. And we don't even know if there's going to be a third season of that. That's that's part of the risk here. You know, we also don't know whether where those fighters are going to end up. And, and, you know, on that note, let's – Talk about DAZN making fights across the aisle. And even going back to the international element of things, I mean, look, AJ Ruiz too. DAZN is making that for a much lower license fee. Uh, but it's got to come on, and now it's going to be on at the same time as the SEC title game. And look, that's just an inherent risk that comes that comes with doing that. You get more bang for your buck, but you take an event that it sh you know, should be the biggest fight of the year, basically, in terms of how you could position it. And it's on... It, at a time of the day, not 
when most people are conditioned to watch those types of fights. Uh, and, and so you don't know. I mean, that's we're entering new territory for that. All right. Let's now talk about DAZN making fights across the aisle and the pros and cons there. Um, really what this is going to end up with is DAZN having a strong rooting interest in, the, in each fight. And if you uh, are a network exec, that is really... That is not how you want things to happen. Now look, again, I think that is great. Like you should, you should be reaching across the aisle to make big fights. They have done it quite a bit for this fight season, though. You should be lauded for it, but you know it's a risky strategy. So look, in fact, I would even say you could almost certainly say that the people who used to run HBO and probably the people who used to run Showtime and who and crew currently run Showtime would not be taking some of these risks. So let's just look at the fights where this is applicable. I mean, in the Triple G Derevchenko fight, DAZN was clearly rooting for Triple G to win, and they would have lost out big had Derevchenko got the decision in the belt there. I'm not sure if they had a rematch clause, but even if they did, if you're a DAZN exec, you do not want to see that. Like, at this point, and I've been over it ad nauseum, and look, when I go over this, guys, I am not saying that DAZN is doing the right thing by protecting Triple G the way they are. But you have to do it if you are an exec there. I mean, you you, you just have to do it. You have to. Uh, I know core fans don't really care about seeing Canelo Triple G. It is clearly the biggest fight that could be made outside of Pacquiao Mayweather two or whatever you know whatever Mayweather Pacquiao two, uh, and it would be the number one subscription driver for your network. You do not want to see Triple G to lose to anyone right now. Uh, we've been over that ad nauseum. Okay. In the Progray Taylor fight, Taylor is signed with Matchroom, and Progray is with DeBello, but is a clear network free agent after this is over. That doesn't mean he won't end up at DAZN, but Taylor's a sure thing. And if he wins and stays with you, Progray will be much cheaper to try to get. If Progray wins, you still got Taylor, but Progray is going to be a lot more expensive to keep. So you can still get Progray. But he's a free agent, and you're going to have a rooting interest just in terms of, of how this goes. November 2nd, DAZN, obviously rooting for Canelo. I mean, if Kovalev wins, it's been reported. I, I can't confirm this as a journalist, but it's been reported. He can go right back to ESPN and fight there fresh off a of victory of Canelo. Kovalev, if he loses, it's been reported. He has two return dates on, a, on DAZN. I, okay. You have a clear rooting interest. This is great. If if Kova puts up a good fight and loses, you get to keep Canelo. Canelo will have won a big title at light heavyweight. He can kind of start the process of moving back down, or he can stay there. And you're going to have Kovalev. You can try to make Kovalev Bivol and see, you know, if you can get Bivol a title and try to keep Bivol long-term. November 7th probably doesn't factor into this sort of risky strategy I've been saying a lot. And November 9th, definitely nothing risky is happening there. <laughs> I mean... Uh, like I said from the top, like we're three weeks out and we don't know who Devin Haney or BJ Saunders are fighting, so they're clearly going to win impressively. Uh, but look, you move to December 7th, the stakes couldn't be higher in terms of a DAZN rooting interest. If AJ wins, you are back in control of a significant portion of the heavyweight division in terms of titles and total top 10 or 12 fighters. I mean, obviously, Wilder, Fury, and Ruiz are not in your control after this, uh, but Pretty much most of the guys after, you know, you'll, you'll have AJ and Usyk, and then 6 through 10 or 12, like, you, you got a lot of those guys. If Ruiz wins, 
I mean, you have zero titles, and you have watched AJ decline from the number two commercial fighter on the planet to becoming a reclamation project. Now, look, you won't have paid a lot for that to happen in, in the second fight, but still, that that takes one of your star fighters right out and puts him, you know, on the on the reclamation project sort of wagon. All right. One of the elephants in the room, like, let's just take a quick look at Golden Boy right now. I mean, if you if you are an exec at zone, probably in any department, and I, I'm being charitable to Golden Boy here, like, if, if you're at zone, you have to have a major internal assessment on how you view your future with them. TMZ reported on allegations against Oscar De La Hoya. And look, again, this is part of the last two weeks that's been kind of crazy very sad. I'm I'm a pretty forgiving person when it comes to accusations, let's call them. We went over what happened with Errol Spence from up top, like DWIs, DUIs, like they are tough because of the potential harm you can do to others. So I'm not taking those lightly, uh, those accusations, but domestic violence and abuse is those accusations are in a different category and it's clearly more negative for me. I mean, if you're assuming guilt and remember both of these are allegations right now, like DUI, you could hurt someone domestic violence. You did hurt someone. Uh, but let's not just look at the accusations against Oscar in a vacuum. Cause at this point you just simply can't like, remember the zone started out with Eddie Hearn and while his strategy to sign all the PBC fighters, to extremely lucrative contract has kind of laughably not worked out and created a moment where Golden Boy was positioned to be the top provider of content at DAZN. Like, boy, oh boy, how things have changed since then. I mean, Hearn, to his credit, has been able to pivot and adapt. And while he is still learning the American market, like, you have to give him credit for being able to pivot and adapt. It, it, you know, and, and meanwhile, like, Golden Boy has had some issues, to say the least. Like, Let's start with looking at a few things in the context of Canelo. Like, Golden Boy has Canelo, who doesn't have a great relationship with them at the moment. Let's just say that. Let's just list that as a strike against Golden Boy on its own. DeZone invested a ton of money in, in Golden Boy and Canelo under the assumption that both Canelo and Golden Boy were on the same page and have a good working relationship. They don't. We've seen that as blatantly not the case. I won't put all of that on Golden Boy because Canelo is a mercurial star in his own right. But let's look at some of the other ramifications here. Like I mentioned above, DAZN is in this weird situation of having a rooting interest in every single major fight that's happening this fall. Well, in the case of Canelo, why is that? And why are they going to have a rooting interest in every single Canelo fight? That's because Golden Boy couldn't sign any other star fighters as opponents for Canelo. They need to go out of their stable for virtually every opponent he has. And look, I know they had David Lemieux who couldn't make weight at all. Maybe Jaime Munguia will develop into somebody that can be in a, a a version of an in-house opponent for him. You know, life would be so much easier for DAZN if Golden Boy had just sort of played this out like any other promoter. First of all, Joe Markowski probably wouldn't have had to go out and publicly say that DAZN is out of their initial stage of overpaying fighters because that is a product of Keith Connolly getting great deals for Danny Jacobs and, you know, to a lesser extent, Sergei Derevchenko, mostly the Danny Jacobs deal, and then going around and parading it around like he won the lottery, which he basically did. Uh, had Golden Boy kept everything in-house, not only could they have made better deals for Canelo's opponents and not had to throw their pay scale out of whack, but 
DAZN would have been, you know, wouldn't have been totally reliant on Canelo to having to win those fights. Danny Jacobs and Sergey Kovalev were not DAZN fighters until they got the Canelo fights, and neither of them may be long-term fighters for DAZN at all. Had Golden Boy even developed one fighter, like I said, David Lemieux and Jaime Munguia are like the only even candidates for it at this point. Had they just developed one credible opponent, DAZN wouldn't be in this position. There are major top-of-the-line issues here, but when you start to tick off all the other ones, it's just got to be frustrating. Ryan Garcia, also in a public spec with Golden Boy over money. Given the demo DAZN is chasing, you probably want Ryan Garcia happy. And to be fair, I guess he did quote-unquote happily sign a contract with Golden Boy. Uh, okay, combine that with what is happening with Golden Boy on these Thursday night shows. That's Look, to be fair to Golden Boy, it's a club-level show, so it's not the most important thing on the list. But I mean, DAZN's name is on it, and... Actually, until tomorrow night, we're not even seeing them air on DAZN. They've just been airing on Facebook or, you know, the internet. I'm not even sure, but, like, I've, I've attempted to watch them before. Like, the streaming issues with this series are legitimately in the unmitigated disaster territory. Again, these are club-level shows, so they're not, like, you're not putting all your resources behind them. But, Wow. I mean, I'm not going to criticize the quality of the Saturday night shows Golden Boys put on because while they haven't featured a ton of name fighters, like we have seen Virgil Ortiz develop and they've put some of their other fighters in tough and they've actually been really good fights. But you combine all the other stuff with the new accusations against Oscar and how some of this, how public some of it's been with, with Canelo. I mean, alarm bells are ringing. All right. So finally with the zone and I made this point up top. Really strong schedule, but huge risks to their programming strategy. Like, they've come out and said the 2020 is going to be big on fights, too. And we know it's because they didn't get NFL Sunday ticket. And basically, 2020, it, it, part of the reason why the stakes aren't as high for this fall season, it's just, I think it's just important they got the campaign right. And they got they have a great schedule. They got that part right. But 2020 is where they really need to nail this stuff. If you... There, there is no major deal up in 2020 that they would be negotiating right now. So 2020 is where they have to prove themselves to get one of the major deals with the major sports. And you could say, like, look, with the MLB show, they're building trust. Like, I don't think – I think if you give them a, a DAZN exact true serum, they'll say, like, yeah, we know that's not going to increase subscriber numbers, but you're building trust with MLB, and when something comes up, you want to be – you know, uh, uh, you, you want to have made a lot of headway and gained their trust. Uh, so I get stuff like that. I mean, I haven't really talked about a lot of the other stuff. You know, Bellator, like, yeah, Bellator has been good for them. They've, they've done some good stuff. I don't think it's huge subscriber numbers, and they'd have to pump a lot more money into it if they want to really compete with the UFC. You know, the KSI-Logan Paul fight, that'll make some short-term inroads. Like, you know, Canelo's fight now that he's had two on his own, uh, and, and really only one up until now, where DAZN had time to promote it correctly, like, that'll help their sub-numbers. The heavyweight fight is huge. That should help their sub-numbers, but, like, you wish it was in an America on primetime. I mean, anecdotally, my wife is, like, the definition of a casual fight fan. That's the only fight she wants to see. She definitely wants to see that fight. She's, like, marked that down on her schedule. She's watching that. Um, but everything else comes with a lot of risks, some small, some huge. Like, we've talked about the rooting interest for DAZN on the heavyweight fight, but, like, I haven't even broached the subject of going to Saudi Arabia. In some ways, DAZN 
like they didn't really force it to Saudi Arabia. It's not they they're not going to have an NBA type issue with this. Um, and and like I said, they benefit the license fee they're paying is going to be a fraction of what it would have been at MSG. I don't believe the reports of the $60, $70 million site fees, but I do have pretty solid info that it's at least a WWE site fee, and those are in the 40 to $45 million range. So it's big money. And it, when, when you look at that brings up other issues that are risky. I mean, again, like I think boxing and WWE, for that matter, kind of have an advantage here over the NBA because like, no one has ever accused boxing or WWE of, of having taking this holier than thou, than thou attitude. So it's like, well, they're just fight sports who don't care about that stuff that are just taking the money. Whereas NBA definitely has an image they look to where they care about speech and they, you know they, they're basically playing against their politics with the China stuff. It, but very complex issue for a very different time. <clears throat> I mean, I'll tell you one thing though, and I'm not even getting involved in, in actual politics here. I wouldn't go to Saudi Arabia as a journalist, at least in my position as doing an independent podcast and occasionally writing for Ring Magazine and having my podcast on their site. I mean, especially not with our current president in office, and that's not even a comment on his politics, because if Bush or Obama were in office, were in office I would be much more likely to go. It's more a comment on his international relations philosophy. But larger point here, something could go wrong just by having a fight in Saudi Arabia, especially a fight of that magnitude. If anything does go wrong, it will be a very big deal, potentially as big of a deal as, as what the NBA was going through in China. There are other pathways to the programming schedule going a million different ways, some of them very negative for DAZN. Most network execs in any sports are risk-averse, and here are the risks you see. I mean, 2020... You could see the World Boxing Super Series just go away entirely, which would take a lot of the top programming DAZN has had, you know, with really good, strong programming. Certainly last fall was like its strongest programming. And, and, and the stuff you're seeing here in fight season, like three of the fights are just simply a product of the World Boxing Super Series building to a big fight and kind of manufacturing a star. That may not be there next year. You could see every heavyweight belt leaving a network with almost no hope of getting any of the PBC or ESPN fighters back on your network. I mean, you could see a stripped belt coming back, but like you're not going to see Wilder, Fury, or Ruiz come back after that. Like I said, potentially a major political backlash, or, or, or if anything, especially really if anything goes wrong in a country like Saudi Arabia. We've already almost seen the triple g investment take a really bad turn and either way like you're at the point where that canelo fight just needs to happen asap or you got to move on and you got to figure out of you know some very difficult decisions at middleweight there's certainly a pathway to canelo's future being increasingly muddled by either losing at light heavyweight you know where i don't think he'll get docked majorly for losing there because it's such a you know dare to be great move uh there's all kinds of promoter issues with Golden Boy. I mean, we don't know how this YouTube star fight thing is going to work. I guess it's not really a huge risk, but, you know, it's certainly, it, it is a risk. Like, 
we don't even have opponents for Haney or Saunders, and and we're, you know, the positives that this could be their huge coming out party with the younger audience. Well, maybe the younger audience isn't going to subscribe. You would think they would, but you don't know. These are great risks, and look, they come with great rewards. Possibly, DAZN could come out of this looking great. I think that you know the World Boxing Super Series probably is looking rough to come back at a high level at least. But if all this other stuff goes their way, I mean, 2020 could be a banner year for them coming out of the great fights they're doing now. They could have all, you know, all the belts except the WBC at heavyweight. You know, Canelo could win and they could, you know, get Bivol a title at light heavyweight. They could try to take over that division. Uh, Canelo could go back down and, and if they could figure out what's going on with all their middleweights. I mean, there is a huge potential to articulate really an end game to a lot of these these fights where you can make the big fights happen over and over and and kind of do what DAZN set out to do. But it, it's risky, and that setup could all go by the wayside depending on what happens with a lot of these results. Um, I didn't talk too much about the Bellator stuff and some of the lower-level MMA they're doing, but, you know, they're, they're, they're putting on quality MMA fights too, and... Bellator is in a much better place than it was a few years ago. Look, I give DAZN credit for putting on a great series of fights. I question the risk involved. If it was me, I would take some of these risks. I don't know that I'd take all of them. Uh, but look, that's what's happening. So that'll, that'll be really interesting just to see how all this goes. It's not something that everyone's talking about, though. Everyone's talking about the great schedule. It is a great schedule. But what comes next is is an important question. And a lot of that's going to depend on the results of the fights, which is not something HBO or Showtime in, in their heydays ever really had to deal with. Okay. Lots of great action coming up. So let's go to the preview section. Let's start with a big day of fights, October 26th. Uh, we will have, again, one of the fights a year on paper with Regis Prograve fighting Josh Taylor in a World Boxing Super Series final at 140 pounds. WBA and IBF titles at stake. Also on the card, Derek Chisora fighting David Price and Ricky Burns fighting Lee Selby at lightweight. Odds on the fights right now. Prograve is a round, a minus 150 favorite, but kind of dropping. And this is viewed by most as a coin flip fight. And basically, I consider, you know, this is... I w- this is not the way hardcore betters would look at it, but I basically consider anything under a two-to-one fight almost a coin flip fight just because th- those kind of fights rarely happen in boxing. I mean, this is a legitimately great fight. I think there is a strong potential both fighters will come out of this as major stars. I think uh, Regis Prograde, for me, has upside that is huge. I mean, he he, he is one of... It's not just because he's American either. He's He is one of the fighters I truly believe has a lot of talent and has improved significantly and has worked through a lot of... I thought he had some defensive issues. He's worked through a lot of those. Um, Josh Taylor, also a potentially like great fighter. Like This is one where I hope we see these... I hope it's a great fight. I hope we see these guys fight multiple times. There's other fighters around in their weight classes and, and quite frankly above them where I think we'll also make great fights. We'll talk about this more next week. 
Undercard is pretty strong. Chisora was supposed to fight Joseph Parker, but is fighting David Price instead. Chisora is about a 4 or 5 to 1 favorite. Lee Selby is like a minus 160 favorite. Again, under 2 to 1, really well matched. From Reno, Nevada, and on ESPN Plus, Shakur Stevenson fighting Joette Gonzalez for the vacant WBO featherweight title. Also on the card, Josh Greer fighting Antonio Nieves. And a few other interesting people like Michaela Meyer and Andy Vences fighting. Stevenson is about a 4-1 to favorite. There is no question for me that Gonzalez has multiple paths to victory. Should probably be a closer fight than the odds say. Uh, if you're betting, you probably have to look at betting on Gonzalez rather than Stevenson, quite frankly, at those odds. This is a great fight. Both Top Rank and Golden Boy deserve credit for making the fight uh, and making it happen for young guys this early. They're, they're basically still prospects, and, and they, have, they have clearly constructed the finances, so they made it work for them. The stakes are high, too. I mean, the winner of this fight is going to be a title holder, and, and I spoke about it up top with the Warrington thing. I mean, this is a division that where you are likely to see some really well-cost-controlled fights happen uh, earlier rather you know earlier rather than later, like earlier than they normally would. And hopefully one of the things about this weight class is we have not seen a lot of the top guys fight each other. We've just seen them kind of exist in their own universe. And, and the fact that this early we're seeing kind of a crossover fight like this is incredibly encouraging. Uh, but enough about that. Greer, Vences, and Mayer are all significant favorites. They're like low on 12 to 1, high on 20 to 1 for their respective fights. Uh, the main event, though, is really what, what you're tuning in for. The other fights, you know, they're okay. Rounding out a great day of boxing on Showtime from Reading, Pennsylvania. We have Erickson Lubin fighting Nathaniel Gallimore at junior middleweight. And then Robert Easter fighting Adrian Granados at junior welterweight. And finally, Frank Sanchez fighting Jack Mulawadi at heavyweight. Lubin is a big favorite, like a little over 20 to 1 at most places. Easter is about a 4 to 1 favorite, uh, but I think Granados certainly has multiple pathways to victory here. Sanchez is a late replacement for F.A. Ajagbe and is a major favorite. Also must be mentioned, Gallimore is a replacement for Terrell Gachet, and that would have been an excellent fight had Gachet not been hurt, uh, which just kind of sucks. I mean, this card in a lot of ways is a microcosm for the year Showtime has had. Basically, it's like you're building, you know, 154 is a great division where PBC especially has all these great fighters, and, and, and you're just seeing, like, what should have been a great sort of coming out party for either it would have been a coming out party for Lubin, especially after the loss he took last year against Charlo or sort of a, a great opportunity for Gachet, a really well-matched fight. And it just sort of disappears. And then F.A. Jogbe, who you'd love to see fight on Showtime, even though that's probably, you know, just a, a fight he would have almost been certainly to win. Uh, he's replaced. I mean, God, that just sucks. All right. Moving on to another great weekend of boxing, Saturday, November 2nd, couple of fight cards to note. We've talked a lot about the main event for DAZN, or we've mentioned it. Actually, I haven't talked that much about it. Canelo Alvarez fighting Sergey Kovalev for Kovalev's WBO light heavyweight title. Uh, just to list officially out what's on the card, Ryan Garcia fighting Romero Duno at lightweight, and then a few other interesting fights. Uh, Bakram Mertzelayev is fighting Jorge Fortea. In an IBF junior middleweight eliminator, um, remember Julian Williams is the champ there. I know 
it is the IBF. So whoever wins will end up fighting Julian Williams, um, it, unless he wants to drop the title. But, you know, we're talking about cross-network deals, and we're not talking about people where commercially these fights are super likely to, uh, to generate a lot of interest. But significant, and I think especially for Mertzelayev, he, he is talented. Uh, there's a women's title fight between Siniesa uh, Estrada and Marlon Esparza. We got Blair Cobbs fighting. We got Evan Holyfield fighting. Uh, we have Miriam Nertzelana fighting. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on here. I still expect Canelo to win uh, by cliche, the sort of the cliche path to victory where he's going to hit the body hard and Kovalev's probably going to go down. But look, Kovalev has a pathway to victory. He, you know, he has a great jab. And I think we've seen it. Canelo is like a four or five to one favorite at most books. At that price, you know, you're probably undervaluing Kovalev's chance to win there. I think Kovalev has a, a pretty significant uh, chance to win here. It is a great fight. And it's really not that risky for Canelo. If he loses, uh, you can just say you're daring to be great. You can kind of go back down. If he wins, you can say you have a legitimate uh, title at another division and and really although it's late in his career you can say you've taken out kind of the boogeyman at that division um i don't want this show to go incredibly long and i think we're already in an hour so i am not going to preview it much more than that certainly we will talk about that one afterwards uh the same day on espn we have miguel burchelt fighting jason sosa for burchelt's wbc junior welterweight title also on the card, Jerwin Ancajas fights Jonathan Rodriguez for Ancajas' IBF Junior Bantamweight title. A couple other interesting fights, Javier Molina versus Hiroki Akata, Alex Sosedo versus Rod Salka, both the junior welterweight. No odds out on, the, on those yet. They're actually mostly pretty well-matched. I mean, I expect Brichelt Sosa to be good TV just because Jason Sosa makes good TV, although I expect Brichelt to win and probably be a, a you know 12 to 15 to 1 favorite going into that. Um, Ancajas, uh, we'll, we'll see. Jonathan Rodriguez has, has made some good TV fights, so we'll see about that. But the other, you know, the two junior welterweight fights are really interesting. I mean, they're, they're good TV fights. Um, finally, on FS1, uh, and, and no odds were out on any of them. Uh, on FS1, from Oxon Hill, Maryland, we have Brian Castaño fighting Wally Omatoso at junior middleweight. Also in the card, Javier Fortuna versus Jesus Cuellar at junior lightweight. And no odds out on those yet. And honestly, these are great fights too. Like, they're probably a step below the ESPN fights just in level. But, like, they aren't bad at all. The main event is pretty freaking good. And unless, you know, Fortuna Cuellar could be one of those sort of washed fights of the year type things. Like, it's really strong for FS1. It's really good. It's, it's, I mean, you know, especially after just... After a two-week period that makes you question why you like boxing, um, just because of all the horrible stuff that happened, and obviously we're putting Patrick Day's passing in a completely different category there. Um, but you know, <laughs> this kind of, this is the kind of stuff that makes you question why, you know, if, if you've ever worked in boxing or if you or if you've, you know, even if you've just covered it as a journalist or, or just been a super hardcore fan, like this is the kind of stuff that makes you question why you do it. Um, it does, it feels good to come back with this many strong fights though. Um, 
it, it really does. And, and there's a lot of great stuff coming up in this two-week period. There's a lot of great stuff after this, too. Uh, you know, <laughs> this will be for next episode, but, you know, you, you want to talk about risky? I mean, PVC is taking a pretty big risk by putting Wilder in with Ortiz for the second time. I still expect Wilder to win, but, you know, th- there's a lot of risky stuff happening this fall. I think it's what makes it fun. I mean, that, that's it's put a lot of fun back into the sport. Um, and, and, and that, those are the kind of things that feel good after this past two week stretch. All right. I'm going to stop talking. Enjoy the fights these two weeks. I'll talk to you again after that. Uh, goodbye. Did you get what you was looking for?